0: Shut up and sit down. Hi, right, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. Mike, it has been far too long. We're doing the NBA Finals preview now, but since the last time we talked, uh, the NBA news cycle has gone in a million different ways, pretty much exactly as we expected. Uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old uh, girl named Riley Curry and a mid-20s journeyman from Australia are obviously the two main story points. Uh, it's hard not to think about Matthew Dellavedova and Riley Curry when it comes to these NBA playoffs, but we've arrived at a really interesting juncture, and hopefully, I think, what most fans were anticipating and excited to see was the Golden State Cavs Finals, and we are very fortunate, Mike, to have Paul Flannery. Uh, I believe your exact title is NBA Genius of SB Nation, <laughs> and I right. uh, really appreciate you joining the call sir, Mike. And, uh, Paul, thank you. So... Let's jump right into it, Paul. I want to get your opinion. Is is this series really as lopsided as it would appear, or is this actually a very close series? Because Vegas sees this as Cavs as an underdog in the Warriors as a pretty solid favorite.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Golden State is clear, is are the clear favorites. Um, maybe it's because we have so long to think about this. I'm kind of talking myself into a long series here. So I haven't made a final prediction yet, but I'm leaning toward I I don't even know if I want to go seven. I might lean towards six, Golden State and six. But I think it's going to be um, I think it's going to be better than people think. And you know, on paper, this looks a lot like last year's San Antonio Miami matchup, where you had LeBron basically trying to fend off you know, wave after wave of San Antonio Spurs who are hell-bent on beating them. I don't think it's going to be quite like this, and I do think there will be a little bit of an adjustment for Golden State in that this is their first finals. I'm pretty sure for all, for everybody on their team, it's certainly the, the most uh, the most important players, this will be the first finals experience. And so I think there will be a little bit of that at the beginning. You know, if Cleveland can steal a game in Golden State, then I think we might be looking at a six or seven game series. But it, that said, it would not shock me in the slightest if we went five, because I do think Golden State has the edge in almost every category.
2: It's so funny you're saying that you, the time is making you talk yourself into this being tighter than it is, because I find myself doing the exact same thing. You know, three days ago I was thinking this is a route. I mean, Cleveland doesn't really have anyone. But now it's like, well, the offensive rebounding is going to be a problem for Golden State. And Cleveland's size is going to be a problem. And, okay, they have people to guard LeBron, but can they go small against Cleveland? Like, It does kind of feel like the long time gap is like making us see the forest for the trees. I mean, I don't know. That's the way I feel about it now. I'm kind of wondering if it is going to be close and if it's like I'm overthinking to say it's close.
1: You know, and I think it's the LeBron factor looms large over this, because he's clearly going to be the best player in the series. And, you know, last year, we didn't know it at the time, but you know, Kawhi Leonard really did a wonderful job playing him. We think Draymond Green can do a wonderful job on him, but we don't know. And can Draymond score on the other end against him? And I I hate to get caught into a Golden State fan to a comparison. I'll say this, too. Golden State... It, that could have very easily been a six or seven game series against Houston. They won a number of close games in that series, and they kind of blew it open at the end. But um, you know, I I just think that there will be a game or two where you know somebody gets hot for Cleveland and it goes the other way, and then we're going to really see Golden State kind of pressed up a little bit, like they were against Memphis. That's just my feeling, Mike. I mean, like I said, I would not be shocked at all if they just ran, steamrolled through this thing.
0: Well, so I think you guys, you both touched on interesting things here. The Kawhi Leonard uh, comparison made me think real, real quickly about when, when Rondo used to guard him earlier on uh, in LeBron's career. It's guys who can move laterally real well and continue to turn him. Once he gets into positions where he's making lots of spin moves, I feel like LeBron's basketball IQ becomes normal. It gets minimalized a little bit because no one makes good decisions in spin moves, not even LeBron all the time. And the the type of basketball that Leonard played on him was similar to what Rondo did, but had a larger version. And they don't really have that hybrid player. Uh, is a little older now, and Barnes is a little bit taller, weaker, not as a, a little more stiff as a defender. And then Draymond Green doesn't move nearly as well as uh, you know, Rondo or Leonard. So I think that LeBron probably will have the opportunity at points to, to be able to get to the hole at will, which is a nice segue here, uh, because... We wanted, I want to figure out stuff first from Mike, uh, because I know, Prada, you do a lot of breaking down of uh, the pictures and film and synergy and so forth about the best defensive matchups on certain players. And then, Paul, I'll get your opinion after this as well. But should the Warriors single cover LeBron? I, I think, uh, Paul, you may have talked about this on um, the podcast you did a couple of days ago with, with Zach Lowe, and it was a really interesting topic because it's, it might be the best way to guard him with, with, with less, so you can do more with the rest of the components around him that he seems to make. Fifteen to twenty percent better than they actually are. So, Prado, is that the best way to do it? Should we be single covering LeBron for the Warriors?
2: I think the answer is yes. Uh, when I first thought about this, like it felt like an academic question to me. It's like, should you single cover LeBron? Is like, should you urban like kind of you know urban develop this urban area in this way where it's like you can say one thing and it's like entirely another thing when you get on the court. But I think Golden State might have the discipline to say. Because if you double LeBron, you end up suffering the fate of what Atlanta did, which is he just found the open man time and time and time again. The Hawks kept showing their hand, and LeBron just picked him apart. The Warriors might be smart enough to say, all right, we'll live with you kind of trying to go bully Draymond Green you know, 20 times a game. If we just let you do that, suddenly all these other shooters are out of the game. And more importantly, Cleveland's offensive rebounding is totally negated because – you can't you don't have Tristan Thompson and Mosgove like kind of sneaking inside the helping big man to kind of get a rebound, so they may be the one team that can actually pull this off
1: yeah, I think if you can do it then you should and you know Mike makes a couple of good points here that that you know on paper they have the personnel to at least throw a couple of different defenders at him so you're not going to have like a Jimmy Butler situation where it's funny people people say Jimmy Butler got killed against LeBron I thought he played pretty well just that you know, LeBron's really, really, really good, and he was given up three, four inches and 30 pounds or whatever it was. But, he, you know, I thought he made him work, and that's really what you want to do. If you have three guys, even if not one of them can really guard LeBron one-on-one, three guys giving it 15, 20 minutes at a time, I think you can, I think you can pull this off. Um, and you're right, Mike, if you, if you neutralize their shooters, that's basically it. There, there really isn't anything else that, that those guys can do offensively. And, you know, I kind of want to see if Kyrie Irving has, has much to go on here, other than if you leave him open, he's going to drain jump shots, but can he get to the basket? Can he put the ball on the floor? We didn't really see that against Atlanta. That kind of killed me what the Hawks were doing. Cause like, it was like, guys, it's clearly not working. You're now down three. Oh, can you try something else? And the one thing we know about Golden State is that they will they will mix it up. They will try they will try different things. They'll try unconventional things. They'll try something to 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 change the flow if if whatever they're doing isn't working. So I think guarding him one on one is the way to go. But I would absolutely bet they're going to throw everything, at, including the kitchen sink, at him.
2: The other nice thing is they they have all this depth to be able to say we're going to save the Draymond Green adjustment for game 4 if we need to. Right. Like they don't have to run that out right away. They can kind of switch it up. And it's interesting you mentioned Kyrie. The the other reason to single cover LeBron is that he might beat you in game 1, he might beat you in game 2, but like by the time game 5 and 6 rolls around, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of I think what happened to Jimmy Butler is that he was the only guy to guard LeBron on that team. The Warriors can turn flip the script a little bit there. Great,
0: I think you're exactly right. It's almost like you have to weather the storm until the reinforcements come, and there were none in Jimmy Butler's case. But with the Warriors, it's it's just such small battles at a time, you know, in, in five, six minute segments. Uh, because I think they could definitely run. And you guys tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm missing anybody. But at periods of the game, we could start at uh, Clay Thompson, Livingston, Barnes, Draymond Green, and Igudala could all potentially guard him at points. Is there anyone I'm missing?
1: I would be I would be very wary of the first two. Other than yeah, I,
0: I, I agree.
2: I mean they they can handle him on switches at least. But yes. On switches. Right.
1: That's right.
0: Right. Right. And they'll feel and they will obviously switch liberally to uh to cut down the three point opportunity. So I, I think both you guys are on to it. I agree. I, I think I think where basically what you have to do is single cover him, stay off of him a little bit, imply the shoot first to LeBron and they can kinda of think about his jump shot, think about the first open shot he gets and and go from there. Um, they, I feel
2: like they need Andrew Bogut in this series more than another series because you need someone to kind of physically meet LeBron at the rim. it's not going to win every time, but you need someone to kind of be there to deter him. Uh, but if you don't play Andrew Bogut or Azealy, then you go small, and then I, I wonder if, like, LeBron's eyes are going to start to water. So you talk about all these guys to guard LeBron. It almost seems to me that the last line of defense is super important. But if you play boget all the time, maybe you take away an element of what Golden State is.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean that's that's true. And the way the way I look at this from a from a macro standpoint is every every you have to make choices. Every single series you have to make choices. There's always a spot that you that you would rather not do what, what they want you to do. And in Golden State's case, they have a lot more answers to all these choices. Whereas Cleveland doesn't have as many. And their choices can match up, but once it gets into, you know, a second and a third and a fourth option, they start to get really limited, whereas Golden State has depth and they've got a bunch and they've got a bunch of different ways they can go about doing things. Which is why I mean look, that's why they're the clear favorites here. But mm-hmm. to me it comes down to choices and, you know, we just ran through a number of them they can do on LeBron and that's only one that's only one one instance here. They can do stuff they can do different stuff on every single player on Cleveland, on Cleveland's roster.
0: Yeah, and not having to worry about Kyrie being the full force that he can be is, is so important here, too, because I really feel like in the discussion this past week and, and the last few days, his name has only been mentioned in so far as health, right? Not even what he actually does on the court in the matchup. I mean, what if what if Steph Curry has to work that much harder on defense for an entire series, uh, you know, as opposed to the continual flow now where he's not necessarily having any plays. Tremendous defense from a team standpoint, I guess, but... If Curry had to play on ball on Kyrie Irving for you know uh, 40 minutes a game, whatever he's playing, that might take its toll on his jump shot or his three-pointer later in the games. If there is anything in him that could possibly go wrong in a basketball game at this point from a shot mechanic standpoint, maybe fatigue would be it. Um, and obviously, Curry's landed pretty terribly on his arm and head, and the continual knocks in this series do go both ways. Uh, I want to you get your thoughts real quick, just because it happened and I'm a concussion person myself, is that, Landed similarly to Curry in my basketball career, broke my collarbone, got a concussion. So I feel his pain. Um, when you guys saw Clay come back in the game, did you have any initial thought to like tweet something outrageous? or like What was your initial reaction when he came back in the concussion? Just as a quick aside, because I thought it was one of those more egregious, stupid decisions that a team has made in a while. I've
1: learned the hard way that um, tweeting aggressively on injuries <laughs> is not necessarily a great way to go about doing things yeah. um there's a lot of twitter <laughs> doctors out there and they're almost over oh, and so wrong long. and you know look i mean it's my my instinct when i saw it was this is when uh when they reported that they didn't even need to do a concussion test i was like okay right <laughs> um that doesn't wash at the same time like look we're not in the back room, we don't know what's going on. When the blood started gushing out of his ear, then you knew there was a serious problem. So I think, you know, discretion is sometimes a better part of valor on Twitter and, and a situation like that is one of them. That said, if Twitter shaming, if a bunch of Twitter doctors or Twitter shaming teams have taking the concussion protocol seriously, then, you know, outrage away, I guess. But from my perspective, yeah. I try to be very careful in those situations. Yeah, I
2: couldn't agree more. That's all I'm going to say.
0: The all-time Twitter doctor miss was uh, Demari Carroll's uh, torn ACL that he played the next day on. Um, that was that was a, a classic. Um, okay, so real quickly then, the most important role player, I just want to touch on this quickly because J.R. Smith and Shumpert's names have not come up yet, period, in our discussions. Uh, Paul, you touched on somebody will kind of have their game for the Cavs. Who do you think that somebody will most likely be? Is it going to be a, a series where we see Dova Dova have some kind of impact, or J.R. Smith? Have another thirty-point game, or Schumper play, you know, some kind of tremendous defense one game on Clay. But how do you see this playing out as the most important role player? Uh, for I, the think series? I think it's yeah? Shumpert. I think it's Shumpert because he's, he, he, the,
1: the, the the Golden State gives you two really tough perimeter options in Steph and Clay, and Shumpert's your best perimeter defender. And after that, things start to tail off pretty significantly for for
0: mm-hmm. for
1: the rest of them. I mean, Del Del, Del Del will get up in your face and stuff, but. Um, you know, Shumpert has the length and the size and the athleticism to bother Curry if they if they do that, but then who are you guarding Clay with? That's what I was talking before about choices. Yeah. So I think Shumpert is the most important role player for Cleveland, um, but I don't think he's going to score 30, you know? Sure, sure. Um, and if he does, they're probably living right, but um, yeah, I think <laughs> Shumpert, Shumpert is the guy for me that, that, that needs to play really, really well and probably not in a way that most people would notice.
2: It's interesting. I think... Uh the Rockets had the same dilemma that Cleveland had with the Warriors where they would love to put Trevor Ariza, their best perimeter defender, on Curry, but they couldn't risk having James Harden or Jason Terry guard Klay Thompson. It's the same problem Cleveland has. You you talk about choices. It's like if you put Shumpert on Curry, then that means Kyrie Irving has to guard – Clay Thompson, uh, Harrison Barnes, it's not great. I-, I think Tristan Thompson's the most important player in this series. I don't know what you guys think.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, Mike, who you think the most important player, role player that would be on Golden State is? I mean, I think that you can make a good argument for Schumper or Tristan Thompson for the Cavs uh, or Jared Smith, obviously, but uh, who did you think the most important player was? Who mean, they get a little something extra out of. Golden State obviously gets a lot from a lot of guys, but who do you think in particular this series needs to be a, a key role player for them?
2: I think it's Bogut. I think you're not going to get numbers out of him, but I think, like I was saying earlier, like you look at the teams that have defeated LeBron in the past. You're talking the the 9 Magic, the Celtics, uh, the Spurs. They've had that one big guy that just kind of meet LeBron at the rim and act as a deterrence, you know. And that's got to be Bogut for the Warriors. And, and, you know, again, it's like the Warriors love to play small with Green at the five, but, like, can you do that against LeBron that's that's one of the if I'm looking for optimism from Cleveland's perspective that's where I'm looking because you know you can't have Draymond Green protecting the rim when LeBron is battering whoever who's guarding him in the post so I think Andrew Bogut's gotta be show up every every game and I think he's got a rebound too which is sometimes a problem I mean Golden State is fine as a rebounding team but they're not great that's like they're not that good they're, they're okay
1: they're okay, yeah yeah I, they're not elite I, I, they're not elite they're 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 kind of middle of the pack and uh, they had they have they have rebounded better during the playoffs, but you know they're a little like Atlanta in that situation in that they just are not an an elite defensive rebounding team and i think I think that is that could be a significant issue for them. The other significant issue um is the free throw shooting big time they got isn't big that
0: what's it? what I have some interesting numbers in front of me on that rebound. I don't have any of the free throw numbers in front of me but uh, extrapolate on that for a
1: little bit, Paul? Uh, they've got a couple of... They have a handful, uh, and I'm not looking at the numbers in front of me, but they have a handful oh, okay. of guys who really, 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 really struggle from the line. Um, sure. Iguodala can struggle from the line. Bogut, mm-hmm. obviously, can struggle from mm-hmm. the line. Um, I, I think they were shooting 70% from the free throw line during the postseason, but I might Oof. be wrong on that. Sure. sure. Can check that
2: Let out. me look this up real quick. Yeah, I'll um, tell you what it is.
0: Right now, I'm looking at the rebounding, and I did pick this out as one of the, the key stats I saw, which was that Cleveland has the highest percent uh of offensive rebounding. They're at like twenty eight point five percent of missed shots in the offensive rebounding, whereas Golden State's only about seventy six point three percent on defensive rebounding. So you kind of see the, the where the gap could be there. That could be a quite an advantage for uh for Cleveland over, you know, a longer series. But the thing is, everything you talk about in a four game snapshot, if Golden State just blitzes them, all these stats become Kind of obsolete. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I think LeBron, in, in his own right, can can win a couple of games in the series. And I'm not even going to say that the Cleveland can't win the series. But I did say that rebounding was big, but Golden is also above uh, a little over 15 turnovers a game right now, which could get as uh, these tighter that's, series come down. That's a lot. That's related to the way they play too, though. I mean, they're going to sure. play fast,
1: and they're going to get out of sure. transition. That's going to inevitably lead to some turnovers. Um, that yeah. one doesn't. That one doesn't concern me as much because that's sort of the way they play. Uh, mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting, too, you know, pace and and tempo and what kind of pace can they get them into because, you know, Atlanta never was able to get into their pace against Cleveland. And Cleveland mm-hmm. has a way of just slowing you right down, uh, mainly because of LeBron. And so, you know, Golden State, you know, they're going to have to rebound and they're going to have to get out in transition and get all these cross matches and do the, do that thing they do. And if they can do that that's when you see that wave coming where it's like, oh, man, you know, mm-hmm. those 15-point runs they can just put on the board like they're nothing. Yeah. Yep.
2: Uh, the Cavs are, or the Warriors are shooting 70% from the line, as you said. There you go. That was wow. correct. Uh, with with that, that's why I think Thompson is the most important player in this series because all these teams that have played the Cavs have wanted to run, but they can't because they, Thompson's just kind of hanging around, grabbing balls out of his zone. And if the Warriors can't grab rebounds, they can't run. And yeah. If Tristan Thompson is there just kind of hanging around, that that's why the Hawks – it's LeBron, but it's also like when LeBron misses, like they have to deal with these Thompson and Mozgov just kind of hanging around the rim. That's why I think – you mentioned earlier, Paul, that this is going to be different than the Spurs series just because even though superficially it's the same. I think that's the biggest difference. The Heat didn't care about offensive rebounds at all. Right. They just had shooters, and the Cavs have – when the Warriors overload their defense to LeBron, like that's actually a problem against the Cavs because their bigs will just duck in. Against the Heat, it's like if you have don't have five shooters on the floor and one of your shooters is Bashard Lewis and another is Dwayne Wade, those guys don't really matter, but those bigs find a way to matter no matter what.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I can't believe that we've talked about role players and no one's brought up Mike Miller yet. <laughs> no one thinks Skinny's gonna come off the bench and win a game, and you know, do an MJ Shrug and be like, "Yeah, I had this the whole time." No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I think day's over. Wouldn't
2: it be great if Sean Marion had one more great game?
1: I would be. I would be thrilled if any of those guys did, because they're all pretty interesting dudes. <laughs> and so you're always looking for an offbeat storyline when you get deep into a series. <laughs> like I could talk to
0: Mike Miller for hours. Um, so go, Mike. <laughs> I'm a big Mike Miller fan. I feel like he's just been stretching, doing yoga, and working on his shot for basically the last year, right? That's just hanging out. That's what he does. He's enjoying life. It's
2: a great gig to you get it.
0: Absolutely. And he's earned it. He's earned it. And he's earned it recently, too, in the last two years, uh, even more so. But um, we've talked about all the chess pieces, guys, all the all the players, right? We have our, our king and queen chess pieces, the, the stars, and we have our uh, the rest of the supporting cast um, we just went over. Let's talk about the coaches who are going to control those pieces for a second because they're both in their first championship. They're both in their first seasons as NBA coaches, although not the first uh, NBA championship as a uh, participant in Mr. Kerr. So, guys, who who has the upper hand here, both, being that they're both uh, they can't play the experienced card or the been there before card? Um, Paul, you can go first here. What's your opinion on this?
1: I don't know. Um you know it's it's funny because you know Kerr is obviously going to gain more favor in the press just because he is just he's he's a great guy to to talk to he's he's I he's, I I've, I've talked to him a little bit and he's he's tremendous and David Blatt is a little bit more guarded and I've talked to him and I get along with him very very uh well as well but um you know in terms of like a mag, uh, a magnetism that gets translated through the media lens Steve Kerr is always going to look better than David Blatt at least right now mm-hmm. There's this notion that LeBron is really coaching the team, and I don't think that's really fair um, to David Blatt. I think that LeBron is an amazing basketball mind, probably the best basketball mind out of any player that's playing today. And I think he has tremendous input and influence into into the things they do. But you know, Cleveland's defense has been phenomenal since they got Timothy Mozgov, and I don't think that's an accident. Not only because Mozgov is good and he's a seven footer, but because David Blatt knows exactly how to use Mozgov. He coached him mm-hmm. overseas. You know, he's never going to get the credit that that he deserves. Whereas Steve Kerr, I mean, people have been writing about how great a job Kerr has been doing since like early December. <laughs> so it's sort of an unfair fight when you're looking at the two of them. That said, I do like um, the experience that Kerr has on his bench with his assistant coaches, Ron Adams and Alvin Gentry. Everybody sings their praises, and rightly so. Those guys are really good, and they're really good, especially Ron Adams, in terms of. Uh, making adjustments and making uh, tactical strategic adjustments. So if, if there's an advantage there, it might be, it might be, it might be behind the scenes with the assistants.
2: It's interesting. You mentioned, I, I like what you said about LeBron is a, a genius and that makes it look like he's coaching the team. One of the hardest things to do, I think for a head coach is to coach great talent and to coach someone like that. How do you, how do you guide someone that is so brilliant? And that's, been difficult for them, and it, it is a little bit of a no win situation for him. And so, you know, not only in terms of public perception, but also just in terms of, I mean, it was weird when LeBron said that he changed the play in the Chicago series. That was strange.
1: There's nothing LeBron says in those, in those post game things. It's an accident,
2: right? And that was weird. That was a as a coach, you kind of have to live with that, and that just makes you a punching bag naturally. And that, it it takes a lot to be able to to do to take that from. I know it sounds sounds like I'm saying it's a horrible it's a horrible thing LeBron did, but it was it's just kind of part of what happens when you coach someone that great.
0: But
1: like I'm sorry, I, ben, but Spolstra rolled rolled with those punches really, really well. Um and sure. then, you know, i I picked up and a lot of other people did too, it wasn't like I was the only one who did, last year during the finals, there's a lot more of that. When things started mm-hmm. going wrong. You haven't heard LeBron say much lately. And, you know, maybe it's because David Blatt's pushing all the right buttons. Um, but yeah, those, are, he, those things are not an accident when he says them.
0: Yeah, and I guess I also think it's part of the head coach's responsibility in every sport to be the center of attention, to make it about them so it doesn't go on to the players. Uh, when it comes to times like this, you always see uh, really good college coaches, good college football coaches, uh, good college program coaches in general. Uh, when something bad happens to the player, they always make it about themselves not doing something necessarily right in that, in that sense so that it deflects off the team. And I think Blatt, even if LeBron makes a very calculated decision, and you're right, Paul, everything he says has so much emphasis. Every word that was in his, you know, Sports Illustrated article had meaning. Every player's name in that who was named had meaning. Um, but I think part of that is that he knows if he can put it on Blatt. Blatt will take that public lashing and then come back behind the scenes. And, and look, I'm, I've never met the guy you have, but it seems like he has some kind of a, a interesting inner dialogue going on, like a, a sort of a, uh, a little more reserved because there's something else going on in his head at all times. Well, he's he's a very accomplished coach.
1: He's a very accomplished coach internationally, and he's got a tremendous amount of confidence. And, you know, I've never asked him this directly, but I think that in his heart he feels like, well, you know, like he hates when people call him a rookie coach because he's like, I've been coaching for however many years. Um, It takes a very interesting, strong, dynamic personality to be the coach who deflects, absorbs, and stands up there. I mean, Pop can do it. Doc Rivers is a genius at it. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a long time to figure that stuff out. And you yeah. know, so I think I think the coaching dynamic is going to be very interesting to watch during this during this postseason. I mean, Mike, have you noticed any? Um, you know, the Cavs haven't had to do a whole lot. Golden State or Steve Card, you know, being a, you know a, a tick slow on anything. Or how how would you assess? Steve Kerr's coaching during the postseason.
2: I, I think they've both been quite good. I think one thing that was interesting about the rocket series is it did take Kerr a long time to realize that you know Dallas was his best defender on Harden. I don't know why it took him four games to figure that out, but other than that, I think he's been on point. And the Cavs were very smart about how they said to the Hawks, Jeff T, you're going to have to beat us shooting jumpers, and if you're you're going to do it, great. If not. Then we're gonna win that way. That was that was smart, and uh, you know I don't think that either coach is going to embarrass himself too much in this series. I think if the series is going to be decided because the Cavs just don't have enough moves, like you were saying earlier, I don't think it's gonna be because David Blatt put the wrong guy on the wrong person. You know, other than the played parks fifteen minutes. Yeah, I mean, what's going to be interesting is like like the Cavs have not been behind. In, I mean, there was the Bulls that were down, down 2-1. I don't really didn't really notice anything incredibly different they did to win that series. I think they had good confidence that they could win that one. You know, the Kerr has always already shown, or Kerr's staff has already shown they're willing to do something big, put Andrew Bogan on Tony Allen to kind of change the series. I wonder if Blatt's going to reach a point where he makes a drastic change like changing the starting lineup. You know, or something like that, or right. dramatically changing a matchup if they fall behind two one or two zero.
1: I will say this: um, you know, David Blatt very quickly gave guys like Sean Marion, Mike Miller. Um, you know, James Jones has been fine. Um, the, the 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 you know he has not been been running those guys out there very often. He ran out Sean Marion for a few minutes, basically out of necessity. Park too, these kind of like security blanket veteran guys that other coaches may have. You know, deferred to in the past in different situations, like say Scott Brooks when he had <laughs> when he had some of those guys that he ran out there all the time. He doesn't. He hasn't done that, and uh, you know, it's it's interesting that he hasn't done that, and it has not been an issue at all. So I think that you know, in terms of like, he doesn't have that many rotation decisions to make. <laughs> he doesn't have that many guys. Right. But, but he is not. He's not been foolish with the minutes.
2: It will be interesting, though. How long can they play the two bigs together this series? That 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 will be an interesting test
1: to see what he I, does. I agree. Foul trouble will be interesting too if those guys get into it on both sides.
0: So uh, it depends on how the refs are. If they're letting them play, this could be a uh, a much much more entertaining series, in my opinion. I really, I just really hope it's not a, a poorly officiated and or uh, tiki taki type foul series because physicality could be a key to this series. Uh, I ain't going to gonna talk my, about the refs. <laughs> uh, no, no. and that's it and that's the only time that's it of course not even worth the breath um, that was a, a pretty good rundown guys we hit all the topics I wanted to so I have a few quick hitting things uh, Mike and Paul you both know where I'm going to ask you about them because uh, well they're just topics that are kind of turning right now on the NBA is there a market for Dwayne Wade should he leave the heat maybe man uh... Cleveland <laughs> yeah sorry sure. right. I mean LA
1: LA um... New York New York. New York, for sure. As long as L.A. and New York have money, there's always a market.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think there's a market, but what makes this one really interesting is that there's so many feelings involved on both sides. There's just so much legacy and loyalty and all that. So I don't know about you, but I I don't know the inner workings of these guys, but I would not – it does seem like the kind of situation where Wade might just leave – to take a lower money offer to on a better team just because he's so hurt. But maybe I'm give, feel, not giving I him enough like, credit.
1: I, I feel like this is posturing, um, to some degree. <laughs> I think this is D Wade sending out a, a notice that he's, you know, he doesn't want to be trifled with. And, you know, maybe there's a, maybe there's always a compromise number, right? And it's just a question of whether the sides want to reach it or not. Um, you know, Pat Riley has walked away from beloved players before. It would not be the first time. But this is different. This is, if you guys um, ever ever go down, uh, this will be the first time in five years I haven't been to Miami for the playoffs, so it's a little weird for me. Um, <laughs> but you, I didn't realize until I started going down there how iconic Dwayne Wade is in South Florida. Um, the people down there will tell you it's Marino and Wade, and that with the younger generation, Wade has passed Dan Marino as the number one guy. And so that's, you know, we're not just talking about, you know, when Paul Pierce left Boston, and I was very close to that situation, that was, okay, that that was, you know, that was significant, but Paul was part of a lineage of, God, two dozen Celtics, a dozen Celtics, right? Dwayne Wade is in his own sphere there. So I have a hard time believing they're going to part ways. And I think this was just like a little bit of saber rattling and a little bit of like, look, don't embarrass me kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and, and I'm also happy that you didn't uh, – <clears throat> I pray that I didn't jump in there and use the pun of uh, part wades, which I think you tried to use in the – you know, with kill office.
2: <laughs> I, only because Paul is on, I didn't do that. I don't want to misbehave, because we have a guest. <laughs> uh,
0: Too good. Okay, Okay. Well, last question. Uh, someone in our office, uh, Mr. Frucci, is a, is a huge Celtics fan. And wants to know what the 16th and 28th picks mean to you, Paul, for the Celtics.
1: It doesn't really matter what they mean to me. it matter what they mean to Danny Ainge. <laughs> um, I think he would. I think. I think he would like to see. It's. It's not the NFL draft. I. I I'm sure if Danny had his druthers, he would trade up. Um yeah. Into the top, you know, nine or ten, um, which is where they would have been if they hadn't made the playoffs which is why Danny wasn't all that thrilled about making the playoffs. Um You know, he's just he's a realist on this stuff. So I think, barring that, you're looking at – they really need to get more bounce and athleticism in their front court. Um, so probably another – and right around 16, the way the mocks are falling right now, that's looking like a power forward range. That's looking like a Trey Lyles range or a Bobby Portis range or a Kevin Looney range, one of those guys. Because they certainly don't need another point guard at this point, and then twenty six, you know, you just take the best, you know, you take the best whatever you can get there, um, you know. But I think they are, they have their eyes focused on bigger prizes this summer than this draft. And you know, look, if they, you know, they, they draft somebody interesting, and maybe that that helps them get somebody that they really, really want um, in a trade. Um, sure. So, I think that's sure. I think that's where they're looking right now.
0: Sure, and those bigger prizes you're talking about, like the the uh, Aldridge and the Love's and the potentially Cousins of the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although I I have a I have a hard time believing that Lamarcus Aldridge is going to go 3,000 miles east. Um, <laughs> but I do think you know I think I think Kevin Love will be an interesting you know depending on what he decides to do. And I think if Marcus Cousins does indeed become available in any way, shape, or form, that this is this is what the Celtics have in mind is that no matter who it is no matter what player becomes available, that when that player becomes available, they will have an offer that other teams can't match. I'm not saying that's true, but that's what that's the position they want to try to get into so they can be in that sweet spot where they can have an offer that nobody else can trump.
2: It's the Rockets' plan with Maury all over again. Or it was that's the
1: Celtics' the... plan. Wow. <laughs> it depends on the it KG plan. It depends on who you uh, who you want to get credit <laughs> to. It's no coincidence those guys work together, let's put it that way. Yeah, was Maury still there at that point? No, Daryl. Daryl left long before that. Okay, Um uh, he time was around at the transition when uh, when Danny took over. Okay, yeah, got
0: um. it. Man, circles and circles there. That's great. I like how it's mm-hmm. all connected. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, great. That's about all the time we have. Uh, unfortunately, here we have to get back to our regular lives. into the evening time here on the East Coast. Um, We're not we'll ready see. for predictions, uh, right? No prediction uh, yet. We, we we can. I know you guys have uh, another three four days left here. To put your pieces out on uh, on SB Nation and uh, and kind of make sure the whole world is reading your articles about your predictions, which I'm sure will come out shortly. Is that is that true, Mike? Do You guys have some good content lined up.
2: We'll probably I'll probably ask for predictions and we'll round them up at some point.
0: Mike, what was your record? What was
1: your prediction record?
2: I did nail the Clippers. I uh, <laughs> did not nail the Hawks. Let's not talk about the
1: Hawks. I got I missed I missed the Spurs. I had the Spurs in seven, Same. and I had I had Toronto because I had no faith in in your yeah me, me too and uh, but those are the only two <laughs> I've gotten wrong so far. So clearly I am I am I am a genius.
2: Right. Well, that's why your <laughs> title is a uh, SB Nation NBA genius. I'll I'll hook you up with the business cards.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, we we can make that happen. That's that's not a problem at all. It's kind of a good title it's to happened. have. An entire genius around. That's nice to have in your pocket. Right, <laughs> but, uh, but I appreciate you uh, you taking the time tonight, Paul. I know you're you're a man of a million things and a busy man this time of year, obviously. Uh,
1: being at I'm NBA just trying to pack so I can see. go away for two and a half weeks. <laughs>
0: <All> right. <laughs> are you are you excited about the two cities you get to go see?
1: Yeah, well, you know what, I'm excited because and nothing against San Antonio, and Miami. They're both actually I actually like both of them a lot. Um, but I'm just excited yeah. to go someplace new. I love San Francisco, it's and the Bay Area, I should say, San Francisco and Oakland. Um, No offense to the Golden State people. Um, I love it all. Um, Napa, you're great, too. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited to go out there. I haven't been to Cleveland since 2010 when LeBron was last with the Cavaliers. So this will be interesting.
0: You can go see your old stomping grounds in Cleveland, you know? (laughs) I don't have any stomping grounds. (laughs) Maybe I will when the playoffs are over. (laughs) Well, hopefully it's a long series so you get to spend a lot of time in both. Uh, <laughs> tremendous <laughs> American city. Uh, cool. Well, we look forward to, uh, to reading both of you guys' stuff. Prada and uh, Paul here, Paul Flannery. And uh, big thanks to our uh, technical producer, as always, uh, Nick Offenberg. He's going to delete some stuff here and make me sound good. And hopefully uh, hopefully this comes out well. And then uh, stay tuned for our next episode, hopefully coming up after the finals. Subscribe to us on uh, our podcast on iTunes. that's Limited Upside. Follow us on SoundCloud. Join the conversation on spnation.com. NBA. And you can find both these gentlemen, Mike Prada and Paul Flannery, on Twitter on their respective Twitter handles. Prada, what's your Twitter handle?
2: My name plus SBN.
1: And Paul, what's yours? That was a smart one, Mike. Minus P Flance, which I made without really thinking about the implications of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mine, you can change mine, it now. I don't want to
1: change it anymore because that's you know that's that's how uh, people <laughs> NBA
2: Genius SBN. There you go. Right. right. <laughs> that should be the new title.
1: No, there is actually, actually an NBA executive who refers to me as Puff Lance. And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> you know it's Puff Lance.
0: Puff A man of many names. Until next time, Limited Upside Podcast.